You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hello and good day, San Jose. Welcome to the Stick Hungry Podcast, your home of the San Jose Sharks on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Dylan Kayser. Producer T is not here today, but we have an adequate replacement for him. We have Kyle McLaren back again. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I can't wait to uh, do another episode with you guys. Man, you just you just love the podcast so much. You, you didn't get <laughs> enough of us, eh? Not, not yet. I hope not. I hope I don't for a while, but you never know. Yeah, well, we're we're gonna keep you around for a little while here. I think we might even uh, we might even make you a third host of the show. I think. How's that feel? That sounds great to me. I can't wait. I mean, like getting drafted by the Bruins must be pretty big. But man, this must be a big moment for you. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is this is like going first overall into the ninth overall. Yes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Quick shout, Twitter handles. You can find the show, the Stick Hungry Podcast, on Twitter at Stick Hungry Pod. Find myself at DYL underscore THBN and the network at Hockey Pod Net. Uh, Kyle, do you, do you remember your uh, Twitter handle now? You're going to have to get used to uh, shouting yes. that one out. <laughs> I actually do. It's McLaren underscore uh, K. Awesome. And I, I mean, I'm sure all the fans know by now because we got some awesome Twitter questions from the fans for, uh, for this episode. Sweet. I can't wait to get to them. <laughs> yeah, so a quick show rundown. We're going to touch on the coronavirus. I know you folks might be tired of hearing about it, but we have to touch on it. Any sports-related things we're going to touch on. Then we're going to move on to McLaren's Mailbag, a new segment of the show where fans ask Kyle McLaren some questions. Then we have an interview with a big fan of the show, Nick Floor. You can find him on Twitter at NickFloor underscore 94. How's that for a rhyme? And then we're gonna we're gonna finish off the show. It's gonna be a nice, quick one. But uh, yeah, let's let's get right into it. Let's talk a little bit about the coronavirus. And I want to start off with the Summer Olympics being delayed. Man, that's uh, you know for the fans, you know it kind of sucks. We don't get the Summer Olympics. But I'm thinking about the athletes, and especially the athletes that you know they might be at the end of the road uh, as far as competing. And I don't know. It's it's got to be a tough one for them. <coughs> Yeah, you know what? I mean, they're, they're amateur athletes. and They range from 18 years old, and I'm sure there's some uh, as old as 40, maybe even more. And, you know, I mean, this could be – this could have been some of their last Olympics or starting out their professional career after this. So, I mean, you feel for them, all the training they've done, all the hard work they've done, but it's – you can't fault them for uh, hopefully postponing it just a year. But, I mean, with all the preparation that they've done is, is you got to feel for the families, the – the athletes, even uh, even Japan. You know, what I mean, the, that's a huge money booster for them. But to me, right now, uh, with this virus going on, uh, I don't think there's another option for them right now besides to postpone it. Hopefully, just another year. Yeah, I know. I mean, I think we can all agree it's the right move. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's really amazing how far far you know this this virus has gone and how many things it's really affected. I mean, the Olympics. It really doesn't get bigger than that. I kind of want to ask you a question about training. I mean, it's on a different scale, but, uh, you know, going into the off season, I'm sure you, you have some sort of plan, uh, you know, in place going into next year. And for these athletes, most of them have a four year plan. And now that plan is kind of being flipped upside down as an athlete. How do you kind of deal with that? Or you just kind of go with the flow? Uh, I mean, for, for them, it's, it's you know, like right now, uh, I mean, going into kind of the summer or the spring, they're probably just getting ready to gear up. So basically, they're at top physical peak fitness come, uh, what is it, July, end of July, middle of July? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's going to set them back a little bit. It may, you know, I mean, it may actually, if, if maybe someone's uh, got a little nick on them or hurt a little bit, it may help them kind of heal better. But again, is their whole regime is going to change. And, I mean, for us, for NHL, I mean, we usually took two weeks off and then kind of geared back up slowly until basically middle of August is when you're kind of flying high in the tempo, then you get back on the ice, you start skating um, and getting mentally prepared. And that's what they're probably doing right now is now they got to go back and decompress a little bit. And then, I mean, they got to ramp it up again. And that's not an easy thing to do no matter what age you're at. 
No, it's really not. And I mean, I, I mentioned before, some of the older athletes, you know, maybe for them, this fourth year was even pushing it. And now, you know, with the Olympics being postponed, maybe that puts them out of contention. You know, I mean, older bodies, you know, they, they wear down a lot quicker and just adding another year of training that, that might really affect them moving forward. Eh? I, I absolutely agree. And I mean, again, there could be a 38 year old that's like, you know what, this is my last one. I'm, I'm ready for this one. There's no more after this. Now he's got to do another basically a year and a half of training. And I mean, that's hard on the body as it is itself. Uh, and most of these athletes are in really good shape as it is. But again, it's, it's, it's basically kind of decompressing and ramping it back up again, unless they can stay this motivated for another year and a half, which I mean, it's not easy to do at any age or any mental capacity. And, and uh, I mean, you got to feel for them. Well, and the biggest thing too, for me, I mean, like I said, they have a four year plan. It's mm -hmm. almost, you know, down to the week, they have their whole regiment. And yeah. now, you know, it's being postponed, but yeah. until when, you know, they, yeah. they don't really know how to schedule their training up to, up to that point. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough one. You got to feel for the athletes. Um, and some more coronavirus news, uh, two senators and two Colorado avalanche players have tested positive. Uh, we keep seeing the numbers rise. Let's, let's kind of hope it stays at that level because we don't want to see uh, NHL players getting affected by this virus because, of course, that's going to affect uh, the NHL's ability to get back into regular play. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, I'm glad they're not mentioning names because you never want to see that too. But uh, for the NHL players, that is. Yeah. Um, but again, it's, 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 it's hit almost every sport now. It, it hit basketball already. Now it's in the hockey. Um, I mean, it does affect when the NHL can actually come back because they want all their players healthy. So it's basically doing what the government says, the CDC says down here, um, of kind of social distancing yourself and, and self-isolating if you can stay home. I mean, that's the thing. Stay home if you can. If you have to go out to the grocery store, that's fine. But, I mean, it's, it's, you think about it, maybe a month and a half ago, we really didn't hear about this that much. And within a month or within two weeks, it seems like the cases have doubled and tripled. And um, you, you just don't want to see that. But then you see on the news and stuff, these reckless people down in Florida going to the beaches. And oh, wasn't, almost, that, wasn't that just ridiculous? Oh, I mean, come I just, on, people. I just, if, that, if, that was my, if that was my kid on TV, I would be uh, screaming at him on the phone is, you know what, get your ass at home. You're not going out anymore. Because that just, I mean, they say it affects old people and it does, or older people and it does. But it still affects a lot of the younger people as, as well. And that's the thing. It affects everybody, every race. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, and, it, and it could affect you. And it, it's, it just seems like it's growing. And until we have a handle on it, people kind of need to chill and relax and just stay at home. And I mean, that's, that's the dangerous part about it to me is, you know, young people going out, they might not feel yeah. the symptoms, but they could be carrying yep. it. And, you know, you yep. go hang out with your friends, go, go on spring break or whatever, everything's cool. Then you get home and you might get your grandmother sick or yep. your parents yep. sick. And that's, that's really where the problem comes in. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you have to stay in. You can go out for walks and stuff. I mean, my parents are, are in their older sixties and I have a mother-in-law you know, that's almost 80. So. I mean, me going out to parties or going out hanging with friends, and if I bring something back, I mean, I'd feel awful. And the only time I go out is basically to get us groceries for the house, come back home, and, and kind of just chill. And I know it sometimes gets boring after a while, but that's why I'm starting to, I'm starting to do a puzzle this past week. And, you know I mean? Just trying to keep the mind moving without actually going out and bringing something back in that can be harmful to somebody else. On, on a 1 to 10 scale, how is your puzzle making skills? <laughs> well, I should have started off. My first puzzle we started is a 2,000-piece puzzle. <laughs> so I should have probably started at, you know, maybe 500, maybe 500, maybe 1,000, uh, but not at a 2,000 because right now I've been sitting on, I think it's four or five days, and I'm finding duplicate puzzle pieces. I'm finding missing puzzle pieces, and I kind of want to keep going because I want to finish it. I want to see the end product, but it's tough when you can't see it right now. I just can't see where it's going. So I'm going to keep trying, keep going. I mean, we usually do it at night after dinner for a couple hours um, just to kind of wind down or whatever. But uh, I tell you, I mean, if you're doing a 2000 puzzle piece, that's no joke. I'll tell you that. No, it's not. I mean, I've tried once or twice myself. I'm not going to lie. I've thrown that box across the room with the picture <laughs> on it being like, how the fuck are these puzzle pieces going to make this picture? But mm -hmm. uh, somehow it works out. Somehow it yep. works out. Uh, some more coronavirus and uh, not really news, but some rumors that are swirling around. 
Looks like the NHL is not prepared to nix this season. It looks like they might be exploring uh, summer playoffs. Now, I have some mixed feelings about this. Um, as you know, like we talked about it last episode uh, on the podcast, if they push it into the summer, it's going to affect next season and how we start off the season. And I don't know, do you think there'll be a big appetite for Stanley Cup being awarded in, say, August or maybe late July? I bet you in some markets it will be, but not all markets. I mean, uh, Canadian markets, absolutely. I mean, they want their fix of hockey, and we know they can't get it. To me, other places, you're already in the summer, you're going to be pushing basically baseball in. I just, uh, you know what? I want to see them finish it. I just don't see how if there's a summer playoff, I mean, they have to push so many things back, like free agency, uh, the start of next season, like when's that going to be? Can they play any two games next season? If they, depending, depending on how far the playoffs go. And, but I've been hearing some of the players want to go, they don't want to go just right in the playoffs. They want to have a kind of a 10 game. I mean, they want to finish the season, of course, but can you? Because usually playoffs go from April to middle of June if you're running the, the whole four rounds, I just don't see how you can manage that. But again, I'd like to see it, but I just don't know. I mean, there's just a lot of moving parts that you have to move around to order to get this season finished. And then next season, basically back on track. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who knows? It could be a 60 game regular season yes. next year. Uh, if this all happens, actually this kind of leads into a, another question I have. The regular season is obviously 82 games. What do players think about that? Do players kind of wish there was, you know, maybe just 75 games, maybe a bit less? I've heard that from a few guys that, you know, getting through that 82-game season is, is quite the grind. It is, it is a grind. You know I, mean? I mean, other sports, I mean, baseball is 162. They almost play every single day. Basketball is 82. Um, I mean, going – there's really not much downtime when you're playing. And I think sometimes, like, it's – I think I saw one if, – if the teams are playing now, there's – it's like a condensed season where they're playing almost every other night. And to me, they put that week mandatory, uh, uh, I don't want to call it vacation, but it's like a shutdown for every team. And it yeah, staggers the throughout week. the year. Yeah, and they, and they stagger throughout the year. Well, you're missing dates for hockey teams to play where then all of a sudden next time, next week you come up and you've got three games and four nights. And it seems like that's a regular basis. So it's just, I mean, if you go, if you go lower, I mean, I know it's, it's fans, it's money. It has to do with all that stuff. But as a player, um, I would, you may wouldn't mind them cutting them back maybe 10 games, spread out the games a little bit more, give players a chance to rest their bodies. And you might see players uh, not actually get hurt as much. And I mean, it's only going to make the product better, in my opinion, yeah. especially in the playoffs. And I mean, that's where the moneymaker is in that first round, especially if guys are a little fresher, maybe less injuries going into that playoffs. I don't know. At the end of the day, I think it's going to have a better product. And I would I, I would sacrifice, you know, five to 10 regular season games yeah. uh, to get that better product. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, you, know, you want you want fresh. You want you want to be at your best. And you want the best players to be at their best going into the playoffs. Where the excitement, I mean, it builds and builds and builds until you hit the Stanley Cup, and that's where you want everyone healthy and fresh and going as hard as they can, as long as they can. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we're going to keep the fans updated on this situation as it goes through, but I think yeah. now is a good time to uh, get out of the coronavirus <laughs> talk and get into something a little more fun. Like I mentioned, we have a new segment, McLaren's Mailbag, where Kyle McLaren answers fans' questions on Twitter, and we got some doozies this week, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we do. I got, I got uh, probably ten or fifteen good ones. I had to narrow it down just to a few. Uh, I mean, we're going to try to get them going as much as we can, but there was a lot of good questions out there. Absolutely, I'm pumped. All right, let's get into McLaren's mailbag. This is the main event, and a big check by Kyle McLaren. All right, folks, McLaren's mailbag. Um, you can follow Kyle on Twitter at McLaren underscore K where he's going to answer some questions that you tweet at him. And I think we might try and make this a regular uh, segment moving forward. But let's start off with the first one. I believe this guy's a buddy of yours <laughs> at uh, Kennyberg Stew. Uh, he wants to know, what would you be doing if you weren't an NHL player? So first off, we went to school together. He's one of my... He's one of my buddies that like travel with me. He comes and sees me. Uh, when we go up to uh, Leftbridge, we see his family. 
Uh, I've known him probably since fourth or fifth grade playing hockey with him. Um, but I bet you all my buddies back home would say I'd be either pumping gas at a gas station, right? And yep. number two would be uh, there's a, like a sports check. You guys have them up there. They don't have them down in the States. It's basically working at like a, a manager or something at a sporting goods store. But fair, growing fair up, but growing up, it was always basically pumping gas at the local gas station. That that was your childhood dream was pumping gas. That, yeah, that was not my childhood dream. That was basically what they told me. <laughs> if I wasn't playing hockey, that's what I'd be doing to this day. I'm like, oh my god, you got to be kidding me! And they said, yep. And it was, I had three really good buddies up there, and all three of them said the exact same thing. Well, hey, I mean, I don't know if uh, American fans are going to know the show at Corner Gas. You could, you could have mm-hmm. been, uh, you could have been that guy. Read the convenience <laughs> store. It would have been, uh, you might have made TV in another way. So, oh my god, that's go. so funny. Yes, uh, great, great Canadian show. It's uh, yeah. a bit, a bit dry humor. It's uh, it's an acquired <laughs> taste for sure. I was actually watching a little bit of it this morning. Oh um, my god. But uh, yeah, great question. Let's move on to another one. Uh, at LX Eagle Seventeen. Uh, they want to know what are some of the on ice and off off ice benefits that a veteran presence entails. I always see ex players talking about it, but I don't quite know what it entails from my own observation. So, uh, on ice and off ice benefits of a veteran yeah. presence. Well, to me, I mean, when I went to, I mean, I'll use Boston as an example. I went to Boston. I had Ray Bork, Adam Oates, Cam Neely, uh, Don Sweeney, uh, and, and many more. Is that good? Are they any good? Well, they were, they were okay. You know, I mean, they were just, just okay, especially that Ray Bork guy. Just, just a couple of Hall of Famers. Right. And then when I came to San Jose, there was, you know I mean, Ola Nolan, uh, Mike Ricci, Vinny Domfus. Um, you mean Doug Wilson was the GM, so he played the game. Um, to me, it's when you're young, when you're 18 and you're coming to the league, you're basically going blind. Like you've played the game growing up. You played in juniors. But the NHL is a different beast. It's basically how to prepare for a game how to basically decompress after a game, uh, what your body's, uh, what you're feeding yourself before the game. And it was just, when you're young, is, is you kind of just, I'll just go to McDonald's, I'll grab whatever I want. But you quickly learned that that's not good enough to fuel your body. And to me, that was the biggest thing I took from those guys is how to prepare, how to eat, how to sleep. You know what I mean? I really hardly ever slept before a game, and that became my regime is, I mean, you went to practice, you came home, you took a nap, you got ready for the game. And to me, without those players, you couldn't do it. Yeah, and you mentioned last time on the podcast, you know, coming into a locker room, being 18, 19 years old, you're kind of also questioning yourself, right? You're almost starstruck at all these great names in the locker room, and you're thinking to yourself, like, am I one of these guys? You know, how am I going to deal with this moving forward? Yeah, you know, and those guys are, I mean, they they want you to succeed. I mean, they, they want you to get better. Uh, they may realize that you're a number, like a first-round pick or a second-round pick, but when you get in that locker room, it really doesn't matter. It's all about team. It's all about competing, competing with each other. And those are the guys that you kind of just you looked up to. I mean, I watched those guys on TV growing up, and all of a sudden you're in the locker room with them, and it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. And then all of a sudden you become more comfortable, and the team becomes more comfortable, and it just it builds and builds and builds. But without those guys being in there, uh, I mean, the su- success we had um, didn't win a cup, but – it just helps just build that momentum going for the team. Is there, any, is there one guy that kind of stands out to you that kind of took you under their wing mm-hmm. as you were entering into the NHL? That would be Ray Bork. I mean, I was, uh, I was at his house for Thanksgivings uh, my first couple of years, just hanging out with him and his family. Uh, his kids were tiny. And I think now, I think one played in the NHL. I don't know if he still does. Um, but he saw their kids growing up. And I was probably... I think his oldest daughter is a couple of years younger than I am. And that just, I mean, being 18, it was like, holy cow, like, this guy really cares about my well-being. And, and it was just get to the rink. And we'd be on the ice before practice working on just D-partner stuff or, or skating stuff or shooting stuff. And it was just nice to, nice to have him around. You know, and he had a long career, kind of okay career. So it was just, uh, it was just nice to know him that what he did for me is what I needed to do when I got older. Um, and uh, I started that at the rink probably when I was in San Jose a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like you said, not, not a bad teacher to have, Ray Bork. I mean, that, yeah. that guy's going to show you the right way to do things. Uh, let's move on to another one. I'm actually uh, pretty interested in this one. 
uh, from at Chiang uh, Ku. I probably butchered that, but anyways, we're going to go with that. Uh, they want to know what's the secret to your symphonically timed, beautifully executed hip checks that come out of nowhere and just lay people flat on their ass. <laughs> I had never heard it sound so eloquently done when I, when I hip check somebody. That is, uh, that is nice. You know, the thing is, is it's, it's all about timing. I mean, it's, and again, I, I, I looked at uh, Rob Blake was probably one of the first ones I see it really do it on a regular basis. And he didn't do it a lot. He just, when he hit him, oh, it looked like it hurts, but it's all about timing. And it's, it's me, for me, it was as soon as a player's coming down the wing and he puts his head down, cause you got to look at the puck every once in a while. When he puts his head down, either to shoot or to kind of make a move is that's when I make my mark. And it's basically off my inside edge. Uh, no matter what side you're on and you just, you cut as hard as you can and just, you want to hit them because if you miss, I'll tell you, I have some, I have had some crazy bruises on my hips and on my ass from hitting those boards going as hard as I can because you want to, you don't want to hit them. You want to drive through them. And I know it's, it, it sounds weird because I mean, a hip check is a clean hit. And I don't understand why people don't use it as much, but it's devastating when you can hit somebody square and then the, the feeling that you get and the crowd noise, it's almost like as much adrenaline as fighting somebody these days. I mean, you kind of answered one of my questions. I was going to ask you, do you think it's kind of a lost art in the NHL? Yeah. And like, I, I don't know, is, is there one reason you can pinpoint? I mean, are guys scared of getting, getting too low and maybe getting tripping penalties or I, I don't know. Do you think there's any rhyme or reason to why the hip checks kind of disappeared from the game? I think hitting in general is kind of uh, missing from the game these days, uh, yeah, especially, the, especially the big hits. And I know they're trying to get rid of fighting. or not get rid of fighting. They're trying to limit fighting and, and all that stuff. And I think hits are gone because, I mean, well, you know, players are getting faster too. So, again, it's all about timing. It's keeping up with the players. And, and you don't want to put yourself in a bad position because, again, if you miss him, basically that guy's by you, either on a two-on-one or a three-on-one or something or a breakaway. If you miss him, so it's the timing has got to be perfect, and the timing has got to be right for the time of game because it can quickly change the game one way or the other. No, that's a great point. I mean, like if you were on the ice with Connor McDavid coming down, you probably wouldn't throw a hip check. You would probably no. want to keep it as safe as possible, right? I mean, if if there was a, if there was one chance and he had his head down for a second, I'd try it. But he's so quick and so agile; he'd see it coming probably a mile away. And then it would make me look like stupid or like an idiot. And then I'd be like, nah, you know what? Maybe I don't want to do that to him. But it was, you know, I, there's faster players out there. But again, it's, it's timing. You have to just start earlier. Because if you start late, then, I mean, you're, you're toast. You're, you're basically going to look like an idiot on the ice. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you look at the modern NHL defensemen, it's, you know, management, they're not looking for guys that are just 6'4", six, 6'5", six, yeah. big guys now. I mean, yeah. some of the best defensemen in the league are smaller yeah. guys. So, you know, delivering big hip checks like that must be even harder for a guy that's, you know, maybe 5'11", only six foot, maybe, yeah. you know, under 200 pounds. Yeah, no, you're, again, you're, you're probably going to hit yourself. So it's, 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 there's a lot of, to me, there's a lot more stick checking in the game these days. Um, and kind of pushing people around instead of the big hits or, or taking guys out because players are too fast, too quick nowadays. And, and the game's changed over the last, shoot, 10 years, maybe even a little bit more than that, where it's gone to slower, faster guys. I wouldn't say smaller, faster guys, not slower, faster. <laughs> but, um, but that's the way the game is. I mean, they, they can still play the game the right way, but it's just the big strapping defenseman. You don't see that too much. Um, because you need guys to play the game, not just have fighters that fight. I think the last one I know is in the league is, oh, what's his name out of Vegas? Reeves. Yeah. To me, he's, he's, the, he's a prototypical tough guy. You know, and, and to me, he's one of the dying breeds that's in there. Because when I played, I could probably name a handful, I mean, a handful right now that they were out there to fight. They were on the fourth line. They played two to three minutes a game. And if they needed to be called on to kind of change the game, is that's when they played. And, you know, every, like when you played, every team probably had two or three of those guys on the roster <laughs> yep. that could get it done too, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, easily. Your, your fourth line was probably two tough guys and maybe a, a rookie or a second year or a call-up from the minors for that game. 
uh, to fill a spot, but there was at least two guys that could handle themselves. And even, I mean, those are tough, tough guys, but then all of a sudden you had other guys that if they needed to, they could step up to the plate and get it done. Uh, last time we had you on, you mentioned that you threw on the skates, I think you said about a year or two ago, uh, to teach your son how to hit properly. Now, were you showing him how to deliver those hip checks? Are we going to see the hip check come back uh, from McLaren Jr.? I, I hope so, but no. I mean, as, as I was just trying to get him to skate and hit normally. Right. And, you know, he's a, he's a lanky, tall kid um, that still kind of has a little gumbo leg for some reason. Okay. Um, <laughs> but – it, he's trying. You know, I mean, his, he was his his uh, first year hitting was last year. So, I mean, it's, it's it's a lot different in the states, especially in California, with the hitting and the hockey play compared to Vancouver or where I grew up in Lethbridge. Um, it's just a different hockey mindset. But he's getting there slowly. It just takes time because I mean, the ice time's not available as much as in Canada because there's only one rink in San Jose. So, right. not one rink, but there's one arena with four rinks. But I mean, that's it's for the whole kind of bay area right now i mean i think it's kind of across the board that hitting is kind of coming in later for players yep. you know they're i don't know the, the exact age but they're 13 14 when hitting yeah. is really introduced do you think that's you know helping them or or if it has negative effects i mean going into juniors yep. you want to know how to deliver a proper a proper hit and you want to know how to get hit properly too i think that's another yep. side of the game so do you yep. think actually a benefit to push hitting later or do you think they should kind of keep it where it is that's a tough question because wasn't it peewee before and now it's bantam yeah uh now they changed it to bantam for hitting i know there was a huge debate about that and stuff but you know the thing is is i think the players i mean i did it when i was younger so uh i'm kind of old school i like to learn how to hit i like to actually learn how to take a hit as well because that's a you need to learn how to do that uh and earlier you learn it the easier it becomes of, of hitting and, and not hitting or taking a hit. Um, but again, now they're saying with, with the concussions and stuff, I get that side of it too. But it's the earlier you, you can learn how to do it properly uh, on giving and taking a hit. I think it helps athletes out, especially hockey players, uh, of course. But it's, it's, I mean, they're doing the same for football, I think, is they're adding hitting later. or uh, And I don't know too much about minor league football stuff, but – you know, they're just worried about, I think, concussions more than anything, which I think is a wise thing to do, but they still have to teach the players how to do it the right way. Yeah, and you mentioned the right way. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to who's behind the bench, right? Who's showing yeah. this kid, these kids how to deliver a check. You don't yeah. want some guy who's just out there, you know, looking for blood through through his kids or whatever and just wants to see big, <laughs> massive hits. You got you to yeah. do it properly, right? And I think that's where yeah. the difference comes in. Yeah, and they have hitting camps now down here, how to, how to show those guys. And you never want just a TV hockey dad to sit there and tell your son how to hit because that doesn't work. You need somebody that actually knows how to do it, that, that is trained to do that because you can't just go out there and go, you know, go hit that guy because you never, you're going to probably get hurt, one, and you're going to start developing bad habits. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, let's move on to the next question. This one is from at Red Flannel 77. And I'm glad they asked this question because I wanted to bring this one up. Didn't know how to bring it up, but uh, they, the fans did it for me. So uh, we really appreciate all the fans of the Stick Hungry podcast. The question is, you and Zednik were opponents going back to your time in Tacoma and his in Portland. Was there any history that led to your hit? on him in the 2002 playoffs and did you ever talk to him after the hit well i actually uh I was, it was actually funny because i did, didn't realize that i actually played against him when i was in juniors because i mean there's no cell phones there's no computers back in the day to actually keep track of the players that you're playing against it's basically you show up at the rink there would be a list of whoever was on the other team and then you'd go and play and i think it was probably better that way because you didn't know who you're playing against. You know that the, the, what their record was. You knew some of their players, but I mean, I was probably what 16, 17, 18 years old at the time, and really, I just wanted to go out and play hockey. So I didn't know who you actually played. Uh, so there was no history there, um, and I can't say I ever talked to him after I hit him either. So it was again the technology these days is is uh, is so much greater. And, and if something like that happened to in this day, I'm sure I'd reach out to him and ask him if he was okay because there was no ill intent on that hit. 
And I can debate it both ways because a lot of people say it's an elbow, and I'm not even going to get into that because I know I know what happened to me, and I know what happened to him, and it was unfortunate what happened to him. Um, and the sucky part is we lost the series too, so. Yeah, so did you get much uh, backlash from – I mean, I know the, the Montreal Canadiens probably have some pretty crazy media up there, even in the 90s uh, or yep. early, early 2000s. Yep. Uh, were they targeting you pretty bad after that hit? I basically had to get escorted to the, uh, to the team bus, and there were people yelling outside the bus and yelling outside the window when we were leaving there. And it was, uh, it was shocking because I've never seen uh, – I mean, it was Montreal media. I've never seen a, a – a scrum of media like that around me ever before and answer all those questions and stuff like that, where it was so fresh in my mind. Um, but it was, yeah, I had to get escorted to the bus for sure, because there was a lot of people just staying around and, uh, and just standing around. You probably learned some room. new, uh, you probably learned some new French words that night too. Some nice, <laughs> uh, some nice curse words in French. Eh? Yeah, probably I did. Yes. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't have a poutine thrown at you at the bell. Oh my god! Right? Yeah. Tea. So it was a that was a, that was one of my crazier games in Montreal, and I know that I think that was the last year I played in Boston, or my second last year. And they did not they did not welcome me back in Montreal after that for a while. And I mean, being a Boston Bruin just makes it even worse, right? They have quite <laughs> yeah. the history; those two teams. Yeah, you know, it was crazy. That was the first time that I realized how big that rivalry is is when you walk out of the hotel, we say that, and fans would be around, but you couldn't get out the front door of the hotel uh, because there were so many fans. And it was just a rivalry, and it still is a big rivalry. And to me, one of the biggest in hockey, uh, I actually say uh, Edmonton and Calgary is maybe a little bit bigger, but that's the Battle of Alberta. So, um, But it was, yeah, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy time there. All right, let's move on to the last question. This one is from at Red Seal Ninja. Uh, he wants to know what's the real story behind the yellow visor. Uh, he's never seen anyone else use it before or after you used it. Yeah. So what's what's the story there? So there was a player that wore it before. I can't remember his name right now. He was on St. Louis for a while. Actually, I think he was in Boston with me for a while, but his name is not it's on the tip of my tongue, but I can't remember it. Um, and actually, I came in during the summer for a captain skate, and um, uh, the trainer had one in his office. He's like, hey, do you want to put this on? And I said, no, not really. And so we got talking, and he's like, you know, it was uh, Eric Weinrich was the other player. Sorry. Okay. Just came to my mind again. So, um, And I, finally, I said, you know what? Screw it. Put it on. Let me see what it's all about. You know, never – like, who wears yellow visor? That was my thing. It's who wears this stupid yellow visor? So I'm like, you know what? Wow, why not? I mean, it's only captain skates. I'll take it off before the season starts. And so went and skated on the ice. And I'm like, holy cow, like there's no glare. Takes away a lot of the glare. And to me, I I look at all these bike riders that ride in the dusk and, and at night, they usually have some kind of yellow tint or reddish tint to their visors. And to me, I'd go to an NHL rink and every every rink was different with lighting, whether it was too dark, whether it was too bright. And to me, that's all it was. There was no, you know, I'm colorblind or, you know what I mean? I mean, just reading your uh, Wikipedia page, I know they mentioned on here that you got struck by a slap shot from Vancouver's Sammy Sallow. Um, Yeah. Did that have any part to do with it, you know, going going ahead from that? The only only thing that I did after that was actually put a visor on. Oh, okay, Um, gotcha. Because then, I mean, it just, I cracked my skull, basically. Uh, I had to spend the night. Uh, in a Vancouver hospital and then since then they're like you know what you're not playing unless you put one on and I'm like you know what that's probably a wise thing to do because that was one of the that was one of the scariest things is you know what it's just you have a 104 mile 105 mile an hour slap shot coming directly at your forehead and I didn't move I mean I had no time to move um but Sam, I, you know, Sammy Sallow had a hell of a bomb one of the most underrated yeah. shots back in the day in yeah. my opinion yeah, no, unbelievable. And, and it tipped off of uh, Scott Parker's stick. So it kind of got a little oh, okay. deflected. But again, as I'm standing in front of that ready to block it, next thing I know, I'm on the ice. The funny thing is, I cracked my skull, but I never got a concussion. I oh, never really? blacked out. It just basically hit me right square in the forehead. I had this big lump on my head, and the trainer took pictures, and I'm sure he still has them. Um, but it was uh, that's basically why I started wearing a visor, and the yellow one just – I said it was well why not fuck it you know I mean and if somebody was going to fight me for it or, or kind of you know tease me for it 
I'd fight him. I mean, I was, it was like, it's almost like an invitation. Here you go. Yes, let's go. Why not? (laughs) Uh, Did you keep using the yellow visor? Did you ever switch back to a clear one? I switched back. I believe my last year, um, just to try to, I wanted to keep playing and my body told me not. And I want to try to get out of the funk. And I'm like, well, maybe this is it, you know, super superstitious wise, but my body was too far gone already. And I kind of just took it off and, you I mean, I actually still have a few in my hockey bag right now. There you go. Well, that's a great question. And thank you, everybody that contributed to uh, McLaren's mailbag. Uh, how was that for a name, by the way? Uh, we're going to try and continue this segment moving forward. So if you have any hockey-related questions that you want to ask Kyle, you can reach him on Twitter at McLaren underscore K. But now we're going to move on to a fan interview. We have an interview with Nick Floor. You can find him on Twitter at Nick Floor underscore 94. All right, folks. We have another huge fan of the show, Mr. Nick Floor. You can find him on Twitter at Nick underscore Floor 94. Nick, how you doing today? I'm doing pretty great, you know, just trying to survive in this quarantine world. Yeah, man, aren't we all? It's uh, it's some crazy times we're living in right now, um, obviously because of the coronavirus. And we might as well start off there. Uh, how's, how's your life been uh, with this coronavirus? I mean, what steps are you taking uh, to deal with this whole pandemic? Well, I, I live in uh, California, obviously being a San Jose fan. So we were one of the first states to implement the uh, statewide shelter at place or shelter at home, I should say. So we, we kind of have a bit of a hard curfew in effect around here. So it's been a lot of backyard golf and trying to find ways to stay active. Have you found that uh, people are listening to, uh, you know, the measures that the government's putting in place? Like, are there still people out in the streets or do you think uh, people are starting to smarten up and stay home? Uh, I think in the beginning, people didn't take it as seriously. And then, uh, you know, after they saw the Humvees rolling around from the National Guard the other day, people (laughs) just started to feel like, ah, we should probably stick to the regulations they're putting in place. Yeah, when they bring out the Humvees, you know, they're uh, they're getting pretty serious about it. Oh, yeah, getting down to brass tacks. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. How how are you killing your time? I mean, there's not much sports to watch. I, I was telling producer T the other day, I think I was watching a rerun of a bowling championship in like 2008. So how have you been killing your time? Uh, well, a lot of movies. There's a lot of uh, cable companies that are offering uh, free showtime in HBO. Um, if not that, it's a lot of like backyard stuff. We're making our own games. We're trying to chip and putt golf balls into basketball hoops and just <laughs> trying to find ways to pass the time. We, we busted out the Yahtzee, you know, first time in like five years. So we're playing a lot of board games as well. I like it. I like it. So what's, uh, what's one show that you uh, kind of go to if you want to binge watch something, especially in a time like this? Oh, man, we've watched so much. You know, we, we try to stick to the Netflix and the you know, Hulus and everything along those lines. So there's a show on Netflix called 100 Humans where they, uh, they're basically doing tests on you. Not like test tests, but they're doing like a bias tests and different things that they're unaware of. So it's, it's a good way to watch how us as humans are essentially there you go folks check that out if you're uh if you're dying for something to watch let's uh let's get out of this coronavirus talk for a little bit i mean everyone's just being hammered uh with with, you know all the news stations being dedicated to this virus but let's start talking about uh the san jose sharks a little bit i want to know how did you initially become a san jose sharks fan well, growing up in Northern California, we don't see a whole lot of snow, let alone ice. So it, it took a while for me. I was, I was mainly a huge NFL fan, a lot of like, American football. Um, I, I was actually kind of bored one day in a GameStop, and I saw NHL 07 on sale for like $5. So I picked it up and played the local team for me, which was San Jose. And they were, I think, a 96 overall. This was just before, I think, or just after – they won the president's the president's cup and so they they were really strong they were really op on the game and so i just kept playing and playing and playing and then i saw a couple of games come around on tv and i just from there it was instantly hooked there you go that's that's quite a way to to begin your fandom of a, of a team but that's awesome uh, what's your opinion of this san jose shark season so far i mean we came in with some pretty pretty big expectations i don't know if anyone was saying stanley cup at the start of the season but 
things have not gone so well so far. Yeah, after the Western Conference out against the Blues, it was I, you had to expect things were going to happen, especially with the contracts rolling around. Guys like Pavelski leaving that one hit real close to me. Um, there was going to, in my head, I believe there was going to be uh, there had to be a huge leadership change. And uh, everyone that I knew of wanted Cooch to take over. So it was nice to see that. But I, I feel like the absence of uh, Captain Pavelski, you know, after he left, I feel like it, it, it kind of sucked. But I feel like the season so far, oof. I mean, we're shut down. I, it is the way, you know, it is the way it is. I mean, yeah, who knows if we even come back? I mean, at, at this point, I hate to say it, but that might be the best thing for this uh, version of the San Jose Sharks. Yeah, you know, the, the preseason EK9 suspension sucked, and then the, the back-to-back games against Vegas in the beginning, those sucked. And so it just kind of started on the lowest of lows. We kind of hit a little bit of a stride around October, November, and then we just dropped down. It just it crushes the, the mental after a while to just watch a game, and they just give up two-goal lead after two-goal lead. It just it hurt to watch. Yeah, I mean, like that run in November, I mean, that was almost like some false hope. We thought, here's the real San Jose Sharks team. And then they kind of fell flat in their face after that. Um, do you think uh, the San Jose Sharks are going to make some big moves this summer? Like, what's your prediction? Are we going to are we gonna come back with the same roster, maybe add a couple pieces? Or do you think Doug Wilson should look at a rebuild or maybe even a retool for this team? I think DW's never been the type of guy to like do a full scale rebuild. You know, after the after they fired Todd McClellan after 2015, they did a retooling. You know, so yeah. they brought in a couple of guys, and then the coaching changed with Pete DeBoer. They went to the Stanley Cup Finals. I, I feel like he's going to take that same approach, using some draft picks that they got from both the Lightning, the Avalanche, you know, even the Caps and the Pens that they got in the seventh round. I feel like he's going to do a little bit of retooling, and you know, just maybe add a couple of pieces in the off season. But I think that the biggest thing he's going to run into right now is going to be the goaltending situation. You know, do we, do we pay Aaron Dell? Cause he's been looking pretty great. Um, what are we going to do with his contract? Is he going to want to pay raise? Is he going to take something team friendly? It's, it's going to be difficult. Luckily it's not my job to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's such a tough spot to be in, right? With Martin Jones and his big contract. And then you look at Aaron Dell and you think, well, do we, do we spend more money on goaltending here when, you know, we're really not getting uh, amazing results. It's a, it's a tough spot to be in. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, do we go forwards or do we go goalies? You know, the defense should be fine with the contracts we have dished out to Burns, Eve Lassick, and uh, Carlson coming back from his injury. So I think they're, if they are going to make moves, it's going to be towards the forwards and then figuring out uh, the situation with Deller. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, losing Brendan Dillon was another big loss to the back end. But like you said, we got some assets back. We got a second round draft pick. So hopefully Doug Wilson can uh, flip that into a decent player. Um, I have a question here and everybody said the same thing and I'm hoping we go five for five here with our fans, but I want to know what is your favorite San Jose Sharks moment? So this track I've, you know, heard on the, the previous episodes, this one's a bit tricky for me because I have a personal favorite moment that leads to essentially like my favorite player per se, but okay. I think the greatest moment in Sharks history, I mean, hands down, it's, it's game seven. I, I It's one of those, those moments where in 20 years I'm going to know exactly where I was when it happened and exactly the roller coaster of emotions that I was going through. And so, yeah, I'd have to say the greatest moment or in, or my favorite Sharks moment was probably the game seven comeback against, you know, Las Vegas. There we go. Five for five. I love it. I mean, it just shows you uh, what a big moment that was for the San Jose Sharks franchise. Uh, where were you at that moment? You said you're going to remember in 20 years. Uh, where were you when you were watching that game? Yeah. I actually skipped out on tickets because I was too nervous. I know, I know, I know. Oh, no. it's, a shame. It's, it's a shame. I skipped out on tickets. I was too nervous, so I stayed home. I got a couple Irish Reds from the BevMo, and I was sitting on the couch, and I had probably sunken three feet into the couch across from my father-in-law, and we were both down, like just mentally, physically. We're cheering for you know, the last three games, the Hurdle OT winner. It was amazing. It was the highest of highs. And then we see paths go down, and I just felt like the game was over. Like I just leaned over, and then <laughs> boom, 
one goal from Cooch, boom, the deflection from Hurdle, another one from Cooch, and then LeBanc to go up four to three. Oh, I was jumping up and down. My wife's running from the back room. Our son's trying to sleep. The whole house was just jumping. It was insane. They must have thought the earthquake was finally coming to California. Oh, yeah, definitely. Neighbors are making noise complaints. It was it was a blast. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I watched the first part of that game, and at a certain point, I was like, you know what? This is over. So I think I went and had a shower or something, came back out, and I saw them coming back, and I was like, wow, I've, I've missed quite the game. I had to go back and rewatch it, but definitely a huge moment for the San Jose Sharks. Uh, another question I have for you here, who is your favorite San Jose Shark on this roster or maybe a former player? See, this is where, where I said the Pavelski leaving hurt me really dearly because he, he became my favorite player after his 2015 locker room speech in the Arizona Coyotes game. Like right at that point, right. you know, a guy who's seventh round, no one's even a captain. Everyone's wearing the A that year. You know, he's the one that stepped up. And once I saw that locker room video, it was hands down. I bought his jersey. Like I went to the, the following year. Went to the the store down in San Jose, bought his captain's jersey. It was it was phenomenal. So you know, hands down, Joe Pavelski is the greatest, in my opinion, Sharks in the last five to six years to don on the teal jersey. It's just the way he carries himself and the way he executes both on and off the ice as as a human being and a father as well. I think that's something I can really look up to. So he just he's the greatest shark for me personally. Well, I mean, they call him Captain America for a reason, right? I mean, we uh, we talked to Kyle McLaren last episode, and he went golfing once with uh, Pavelski, and he said, never again. This guy's just too good at everything he does. It's ridiculous. Yeah, they got a uh, pro-am out here where I live in Lake Tahoe, and uh, he just tears it up every time he goes there. It's, it's phenomenal watching him, and his prowess on the ice just rolls over to how great of, of a golfer he is. It's and, you know, golfing myself, I'm like, man, this guy's got it all going on for him. <laughs> Why can't I have just a fraction of that, right? It's uh, yeah, at it's least real. the beard growth. Come on, let me get some <laughs> of that. Come on, Babs, let's go. Yeah, exactly. Um, so have you been to any San Jose Sharks game in, in the SAP Center? Yeah, definitely. We try to go at least once a year. Actually, the last game we went to was Pavs coming back. You know, us versus the stars, the standing ovation, I swear it lasted five minutes. It was more or less a minute and a half or two, but it was just surreal. The whole place was just clapping. You couldn't hear anything but just applause and cheer for them. And I mean, people go on about the atmosphere in the SAP Center. Do you find that to be true? Was it a loud, boisterous building? Oh, definitely. Yeah, awesome. especially the the playoff experience when they talk about getting playoff loud, you get the light off bracelets. You know, it, it's just thinking about it gets you chills because you just want to go back. So I, you know, it's it's quite a, an arena to be in. You know, and I've been in different arenas for both you know American football for baseball. You know, all these different stadiums, but nothing in my opinion can live up to the way that the Shark Tank just explodes. One last question I have for you. Uh, how do you think they're going to come back? Do you think the NHL is going to come back and play this year? Or do you think they're going to focus uh, on next season at this point? I think it, it, it's really tentative. Um, you know, we're, we're nearing the end of March, getting into April, which is when, you know, we'd be getting down to the playoffs. Um, I feel like whatever Bettman does moving forward is going to upset people or, and it's going to make people happy regardless of what they decide. I think, in my personal opinion, being a Sharks fan, just can the season move on? Let's go. Let's <laughs> let's worry about our own issues, right? We, we've but, been done two months ago. Yeah, yeah, no, we ain't even paid attention, anyways. But uh, <laughs> you know, the Bruins, the Bruins fans. You know, I'm not a big Bruins fan myself, but Bruins fans are like, come on, we had this thing in the bag. We should at least do like ah, top eight teams, maybe a best of three in the first round, or you know, I feel like whatever they're gonna go and do moving forward it's going to upset people it's going to make some people you know happy or content but i feel like the biggest thing for them to focus on is player safety so we all know the nhl has a bad enough rap with their player safety department i feel like if they can prioritize player safety moving forward i think it would you know at least make the majority of people happy whatever that is yeah i know that's that's such a great uh, a great point there um, hopefully we, we see hockey sooner than later, but like you said, everyone's health is more important than a game. So let's hope the San Jose Sharks can, can, can come back next season and, uh, maybe make a playoff run. Let's, let's hope for that. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm in the same boat with you. 
Awesome, man. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the Stick Hungry podcast. Uh, thank you for all your support of the show. We really appreciate it. Where can the fans find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at uh, at Nick underscore floor 94. I cover a lot of San Francisco 49ers stuff. I'm a huge 49ers fan, but I, I would say that I'm probably a bigger Sharks fan than anything. So you'll recognize me from the uh, the jumbo profile picture. So <laughs> you, you'll see it. I, I got some some stuff I like to tweet out, especially around salary caps and uh, off season time. It's probably my favorite time of the year. So feel free to check me out. There you go. That's the fall of the day. And man, you're, you're going to hate this, but I'm looking at a Kansas City Chiefs at right now. We lost a bet with our uh, St. Louis Blues podcaster. So he sent us one of those hats. It's the ugliest uh, thing I've ever seen. It oh, really don't do is. this to me. And I'm, and I'm not being biased at all. It really <laughs> it's pretty bad. Ketchup yeah. and mustard. That's their colors. That's what I call them. Yeah, it's just ketchup and mustard. <laughs> that's so true. That's so true, man. Once again, thanks for coming on this episode of the Stick Hungry Podcast. Of course. Thanks again. All right. Big shout out to Nick Floor and big shout out to all the fans that reached out uh, for our fan interviews. I think we did five or so over the last three weeks. We really have the best fans in the world. Uh, next episode, I think we're going to start bringing in some poll questions. And I think, Kyle, what we're going to do is kind of run down the awards for the San Jose Sharks since I think right now we're going to consider the season done, at least for now, uh, for this podcast six. And we're going to kind of go over the MVP, uh, the best defenseman, uh, best goaltender. I mean, I don't know how much of a poll question that one will be. Uh, but yeah, we'll go over those moving forward. So fans, make sure you check out our Twitter page at StickHungryPod. Kyle, it was a pleasure having you again on the podcast. Uh, and like I said at, at the start of the show, we're going to try and make this a more regular thing. That sounds great to me. It was always fun uh, always fun doing this with you guys. Awesome. And uh, hopefully we can get producer T back uh, next week. I don't know what that guy's doing. I know he bought a ball of Pink Whitney on, uh, on Friday, so I'm, I'm sure that one's long gone and he's probably passed out. But uh, you can find <laughs> Producer T at Producer underscore T-E-E. You can follow the show at Stick Hungry Pod. You can follow the network, the Hockey Podcast Network, at Hockey Pod Net. Big shout out to Manscaped, uh, one of our new sponsors. Kyle, once again, thanks for coming on the show. I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. I can't wait. I'll talk to you soon.